Welcome back to the book club. I'm Darwin. And I'm Amadeus. And we have Andy in the room with us. Okay. <laughs> and let's get rolling, shall we? Today we'll be talking about episodes 6 and 7 of book 2. Uh, this is right after the events of the prison break. Uh, it's been a little bit. been dying to get back into this though, so I'm super excited to get back into recording today. And uh, we'll see where this goes, shall we? Indeed, we're going to make something happen this time. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, getting into things. So right after the prison break, uh, we as a party kind of go, Oh wait, Brayden's in jail. Prison break happens, and then Brayden wanders over into the tavern because, of course, the criminal never goes back to the scene of the crime. You know, as a party, we're, we're quite lawful. We really don't want to mess with uh, the laws of this place. We're all very bothered with Brayden being this fugitive. I mean, hell, we've been in this new government for one day. We don't want to instantly go breaking the law. But here we are, being adventurers. With, with one exception, Angel. The moment somebody asks Angel to break the law... Angel break the law. That's a good point. Well, she works on her own laws. Her Tarlidian laws. Her Tarlidian laws. And we'll find out what's going on with that later. Hopefully. Maybe one day. But we talk, We tried to talk Brayden into being... Uh, into thinking more. Uh, almost succeeded. It might be better in the future. What if we got him, like, a headband of intelligence? That might help. That might help. I mean, I was thinking more of those little, like, little monkey backpacks for children with the leash... Oh. Then we just don't let him out of our sight. We could put Angel on, on Braden duty. Yeah, it'd be great. She'd Nothing hate it. Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. Although, in trying to convince Braden to think more, turns out Braden does think about things. Uh, there was more than lower brain action with the lady in blue. Uh, he was trying to protect her from a thief. Uh, Braden spotted on the carts into the way of the city. This is very true. It's um that was something that I only realized listening back and thinking about strictly his actions alone in the long term of like, he discovers this lady might be being targeted by the menacing Joe Brayton. And the first thing he does when he gets off the cart is he goes straight to her side and doesn't leave it. Like looking back on it, it made a lot of sense. But in the moment, I had no fucking clue. Yeah. I thought Brayton was just off buggering off with a hot lady. It's okay, I didn't get a clue either. It seemed like a very Brayden move. It seemed like time. a Zeke move. It did, yeah. It really did seem like a Zeke move. Zeke really does like the side role play stuff. He's kind of um, famous for it. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's always funny. It, but, uh, it, it's fun. It's good. It's just sometimes he does things and you go, oh, there was more to it. <laughs> there was thought. <laughs> so, I know in the case of his Hornwall character... In Xander's Strange Aeon's campaign, that character is full of uh, shenanigans, but it usually seems like with a purpose. Being how strange of a character she is. It does? Yeah, I mean, because, like, it's, it's like kind of what we discussed with uh, in your Rise of the Rune Lords, in, like, the first couple of episodes. It was like, like, I think it was you were explaining Nyx's character having breakfast some morning. Something like that. Probably. No, I, th I think I think that was with me. Like, like I, I was. It was when 
That's right, it was it was in my previous campaign when Zeke had his little kid with the character, Yiris. And then I showed a whole, like, five-minute scene of him eating breakfast. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. And then it all went to shit. <laughs> and then it all fell apart. Uh, so I think those scenes are important, even in tabletop roleplays. But it has to be spaced out, of course. You gotta have a mix of everything. Which is why we're gonna get into combat today, hopefully. <laughs> I, yeah. I crossed my fingers. The first person I see on the street, I'm fighting them. <laughs> no, wait, what's going on? <laughs> oh my god. You messed with the wrong commoner. We're gonna turn I'm on a level in. 7 fighter. I'm gonna turn to labor and like, Sorry, buddy, we need combat. <laughs> <laughs> What? What? Fireball! <laughs> you can't even cast it right now. No. <laughs> Next level, though. You're a level behind. Oh, yeah, it's a third level spell, isn't it? It is, in fact, a third level spell. I'm close to slinging some fireballs. Same. Uh, but after that, we do start discussing uh, trying to infiltrate the prison, and uh, afterwards, I send my familiar to go off and investigate the prison. Yes, the Snow Fox Morana, correct? Yes. Familiars are really cool in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I really like them. So, a familiar as an entity, as I nerd out on you guys, but it's a like a modular like toolkit you can slap onto your witch. Every single day, I get to choose five different abilities. No, three different abilities right now. Later, it'll become five. I can just choose to do whatever I want with my familiar. I can make my familiar sneaky. I can give it the ability to manipulate items or hand items to my party. It can cast spells for me later. It can fly, dig, swim, speak. It's just this really cool little utility thing. And being a witch, that's kind of your whole shtick as a class is you get this really cool and powerful familiar. And I kind of want to be able to use it and, and push it to its extent in this campaign because I've never really gotten to play with familiars. did a little bit in a past campaign and it was a lot of fun, so I'm hoping to do it even more here. And you can only do four of those, those abilities at a time right now, correct? Yeah, every single day I pick four from the list of the, all of the abilities. So it's not like I have a small pool I can choose from. I get a pick from the whole list, but for 24 hours in the game, I'm stuck with those abilities until I prepare my spells again. All right. Yeah, Venetius um, almost had a familiar, um, you know, in his early days of development. He was uh, almost a witch. That that almost came to fruition, but um, that was only archetype. You know, I, I was trying to, to find a double casting build that I liked with maining one caster and then archetyping into another, and I just couldn't find anything I really liked. But... If Venetius did end up having a, a familiar, it would have been a little uh, a little wisp, a little like flame wisp. Would have been really nice. The wisp familiars are really cool. I love them aesthetically. Right? And it's the only thing I can draw well as a person is a wisp. It's hard to draw like a bad wisp though, because they they take all the forms. They do. You just have to keep it to an elemental theme and you're good. They're so nice. Beautiful. But Marana didn't get us a whole lot of information because it turns out prisons underground. Uh, flying foxes are really bad at seeing underground. Turns out. They don't have no. x-ray vision yet. I sadly won't ever get x-ray vision. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I couldn't teleport. That could happen later. 
We turn on no clipping. We turn on no clipping, and we just ignore walls. There we go. That's the strat. But, uh, while I didn't get any information on what's going inside the familiar, there is some stuff going on in the town around it. A very official-looking cat person. He looked similar to the person who brought us in, but Andy made it sound like it was a different person, or a different outfit, or something. Boxes are kind of bad at telling that apart. So, that information is kind of wishy-washy. It's true. We got a, a glimpse at what looked like two important figures, one being that fancy cat folk, and then um, I believe a, a, an armored lady seemed to be like some sort of head of the guard, and very likely um, the person that was alluded to in 2-7, episode 2-7, being the one involved in uh, organizing shipments and so forth. Yeah. I'll bet that's her. You know, you know that, that's a pretty good guess. I don't. I felt pretty ominous about that cat folk. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I have no faith in the administration of this person. Yeah, we haven't like super met him, but if, at least from the the guy who seemed related to this fancy cat folk, who you know was present for our indoctrination into the empire, uh, he didn't seem to really care very much. He he couldn't be bothered, which is. Not a great sign for your uh, governing force. It's really not. Uh, so yeah, the cat person goes off to the Tree Luge district and holds up in this big old fancy mansion. Um, looking forward to seeing what's going on over there. But in the meantime, Brayden is now a fugitive, so we had to figure something out. If magical hats aren't the answer, makeup is. So we disguise Brayden as Chip Catheter. Named uh, by himself. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catheter does have a little bit of a story in the group. This time it was on purpose. The first time it was a complete accident and it was glorious. Yes. Uh, Zeke introduced an NPC as something uh, Catheter and we all paused and went, oh yeah? <laughs> and then he, he, he realized and doubled down. Like, there was a pause that you could... You, you, we were playing online at the time, so we couldn't see his face, but, like, you could hear the gears turning. He just went, huh. Okay, we're going. <laughs> Realized, accepted it, all in about five seconds. Went through every stage of grief. Every stage of grief in five seconds. It was a beautiful moment. And then a week later, um, Brayden is now Chip Catheter. So that was a great moment here around the table. You know, sometimes you just think of something that sounds so cool in your head. You don't stop to think of what you're actually saying. In my case, I come up with so many names on the, like, sometimes on the fly. And then I say it out loud, then I'm like, wait, what did I just say? <laughs> and everyone starts laughing, and then Nick's makes some kind of joke of, uh, I, my best favorite example, uh, Listerine, my monk in your campaign. Listerine. Is what Nick's kept on saying. It's like, what are you, some kind of mouthwash? <laughs> like, <laughs> god damn it. Listerine. Did not get that, like, think the whole campaign, they made that joke a couple times. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta run past the, um, various making fun of filters. You come up with a name, and you stop and go, okay, how can I be made fun of for this? <laughs> it's a practice, and, uh, I'm still getting used to it. I'm awful at that. I'm awful at naming things. 
I'm just gonna be out with that. Iluna is Ilunotaire is not my first, just absolute mouthful. Uh, yeah, I still think back to the the moment of uh, signing up for the Empire of like, okay, what's your name? Aluna Vetir. What? That classic, timeless. It, <laughs> what? What? I yep. feel like that's a, a a common occurrence in the fantasy setting of like, oh, what's your name? Hmm. Okay. Uh, how many apostrophes does I have? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's pretty average, especially with so many different races. So we disguise Braden, and then we start poking around, trying to get a little bit of information about this whole guard thing, because Angel has a meetup later in the evening with a fancy nobleman from Tarlidia. We don't know he's a noble from Tarlidia at the time. We just know he knows Angel from somewhere. And they have a meeting for a job with us later that evening. Yes, good old Crescent. But in the meantime, we had to go poke around, and we were trying to find some information on the guards, only to find out trying to talk with drunk guards is surprisingly difficult in this town. I really didn't think that was going to be a challenge. How about you? You know, yeah, I didn't suspect they would have the drunk guards in a secured location. I mean, it makes sense. They don't want them just meandering drunkenly as guards, but, like... They really got him locked down. Like, like from an objective standpoint, it makes sense. I just never saw it coming. Yeah. You know, you would have thought there would be, like, yeah, just somewhere they go to. Like, oh, yeah, the guards go there. It's, it's the watering hole. They yeah. all go there, there to drink, and all of a sudden, oh, there's none? Oh. But no, they go to the guard bar. <laughs> they go to the guard bar. It's so, got a, a bouncer. It goes, are you a guard? No? Get out of here. Get the fuck. <laughs> Back of the line. You have to be in the other line, the, the citizens line. The non-guard line. So that was an interesting endeavor. So instead, uh, we run out of time. We have to split the party a little bit. Uh, Venetius and Angel split off to go talk to uh, Crescent. And Brayden and Aluna decide to stick around and see if we can figure anything out while we're here. And uh, Brayden and Luna almost start up an equipment repair business trying to get some contact info. We did hear about that interesting uh, general lady. I think Amadeus is a solid point. It's probably the one in armor at the guards, or at the prison. Kind of hope not. That'd be unfortunate if we have to start mixing things together. But we'll see. Yeah. If we do pursue her as a lead... That does sort of feel the same as um, going to guard administration, so perhaps that's not the route. Yeah, and I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I guess we'll kind of see where things roll out. If we're just going to the general for supply stuff, that's one thing. If it's at the prison, I don't know, we might back off of that. There's a high chance that the prison is going to get put on the back burner in favor of uh, Angel's quest that is introduced by Kreska. Yeah, we have deadlines. We do. Five-day deadlines. This guy is uh, very demanding. Yeah, we have, like, no info or anything. What, we'll do you see. think we are? Miracle workers? <laughs> we'll do it, hopefully. Or we'll die trying. Or we'll die trying. But, and then Venetius and Angel go off to talk to Kreska, 
and you guys figure some stuff out and get the whole mission details. Yes, this Crescent guy, bad dude, as one might suspect. Yeah, I don't like him at all. I don't trust him either. Yeah, Venetius was very quiet during that meeting because of uh, a sense of wariness. You can you can tell. I mean, he's a rich guy. He's not dumb. He he knows what he's doing. He's a powerful dude. You don't get there without being smart. And so Venetius is sort of wary of him as like a threat. This guy is is a dangerous individual, and he wants to get this quest over and done with, and and be done with the guy. I mean, leave him in the dust. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I I definitely don't trust him. Also, don't want to cross him either. <laughs> yeah, I really. I, we're so close to getting onto so many people's toes in the city. We've been here for like two days now. It's the life of an adventurer. You, it's it's hard to walk around without stepping on toes. It really is. It makes you wonder how people live in these worlds sometimes. You know. Adventurers just gotta walk. You know. Exactly. And you, people sometimes got toes in front of you. I suppose here soon though we'll be stepping on the sand. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Say no more. What was your opinion on Angel's number, though? That was weird to me. Number 16? Uh, yeah. I was like, oh, I, you know, from the beginning, I always knew Angel was a soldier of sorts. But to hear Angel had a number and is recognized on site yeah, is interesting. I would say, because, you know, we, we know a bit more as players but from venetius's perspective he understands that angel is some sort of member of like an elite force for sure um likely dispatched by some noble family of tarlydia quite possibly the crescent family or maybe a group of families on like a council who knows but she's definitely a member of an elite like special forces of tarlydia that, that's a, a definite whether or not Angel will admit to it. <laughs> yeah. My, my thing is, I don't know when Iluna finds this out, because she doesn't know yet, but when Iluna finds out that Angel has a number, I don't know how she'll feel about it, because I don't think she would have a great stigma. There's two different kinds of special forces in a fantasy world. You know, you have you know, your elite soldiers who go out and fight in a war and are there to you know take on the tough missions. And, you know, you also have the cleaners, the ones who go through and disable civil unrest and assassinate people. I'm thinking Where Angel's was Angel? that. I'm thinking she's and, one of the cleaners. You know, I don't I don't know how Luna would feel about that and working with somebody like that. Yeah. Like, some of Angel's actions are already kind of questionable. Like what? Being just... At, at, being ready to absolutely murder this noble we're going after. She's, oh, uh, just like, I'm dropping the hat. Terrence, yeah. Like, she is more than happy to just cut to this dude's throat. He could be an innocent man. She's nothing if not dedicated. So, I mean, Luna's already kind of... I'm interested to see if that resolve shakes at any point. You know, it, <laughs> it would make sense that she's, she's very resolute considering we just got here. But as time goes on, maybe that'll shake. I'm, I'm really curious to see how Nyx wants Angel to grow throughout this campaign and how Angel will end up growing. I think Brayden's having a part in that, that's for sure. 
I Brandon will definitely be an influence. I'm also really curious what's Angel's influence on Brandon gonna be. Is Brandon gonna come out of this calmer? It's kind of funny how, like, how relationships go, because like, Angel and Brandon are like at each other's throats at some points, but they still find common ground on like what to do. You two almost seem like close, like like long distant buddies <laughs> that just reconnected. It's like, hey, a fellow mage user, how's it going? Magic. It's been so long. Let us discuss magic. <laughs> I haven't discussed magic in so long. I can't talk about magic with these simple-minded fools. Nice to be with a fellow magic user. <laughs> I'm getting into Venetius. Our character highlight this time around is going to be Venetius. Wow. And I'll turn things over to Amadeus and let him fanboy over Venetius a little bit. Hello, hello, thank you for having me. Uh, welcome to my TED Talk on Venetius. Uh, specifically, we, we've got a few like bullet points here of things we'd like to mm, cover. Yeah. Um, in particular for like how Venetius role plays. Um, he's actually a character that I have had in my in my head for a long time as kind of a blank slate of an entity. You know, something born into life that doesn't have the same sort of mind as your typical living creature. He doesn't feel emotions in the same way. He doesn't think in the same way. He's just strictly, I wouldn't say strictly, but almost entirely a logical being um, of neutral alignment. And it, it's it's nice to have that space for me as a player because... It's just easy to lean into being logical and not worry about all the in-betweens, you know? You know, I get that. How do you think Venetius turned out as a person because of it? Um, you... As a person, he's... I feel like if Eluna knew everything about Venetius, um, she might be as wary of him as, as Angel. Interesting. Because Venetius has the um, exact same, like, if he benefits from it, he'll he'll go on whatever mission needs to be done like this um his only hesitance for this crescent mission of like taking out this um what was the guy what was the guy's name again uh, i'm so bad with names Ter terrence uh yeah terrence halu yeah um so Venetius's only hesitance with this crescent mission to go take out this uh terrence halu guy uh is getting in trouble with the law you know killing the guy is a lot more high profile than going after the sands and digging up a connection and revealing that that's much more within the bounds of legality i guess it's not as severe of a crime uh the way he sees it is we're getting paid really well and it's all the funding that we're going to need for the journey at least to to jump start our journey ahead i i get that point so he's like, yeah, screw the, if this works out, screw the prison mission. I'll do that as like a favor since I owe this guy. But no, he's perhaps a little more selfish than he lets on. Venetius is? Yeah, actually. Um, but that's another thing about being the, the logic brain is that it's also very important to have allies. And you can't, can't go throwing around an image of, of being selfish or 
antisocial because you will end up with no allies. True enough. So despite being this like logical blank slate, he's still kind of personable because um, that's important for having a party. We're gonna. I would like to see how he develops, especially with um, this growing connection to Librin, who is a very good character. Seems like a very good person. Yeah. We don't know him real well yet, but I have good person vibes. Exactly. I, I am interested to see how each of the party members and NPCs and stuff have an impact on Venetius because he is a very, very curious entity. All he does is take in information from others in the world, and it affects him in one way or another. So anyway, to cover... Um, one of our other bullet points here about where Venetius is from, what his role in Titema was. He was part of a guild in Lucanir, which was this kind of primary, primarily elven country, um, structured on like more of a social hierarchy than anything. Uh, he was from a guild called the Esoteric Vanguard, which similar to the Pathfinder guild in base Pathfinder, it's kind of a relic hunting and arcana researching guild. It's It allows him to lean into his strengths. And um, he was being sent on various missions to go look for relics, look into magical phenomena. And Venetius actually specializes in a phenomena on Titema called rifts, where these, I guess, like, portals these these rifts between the planes open up and some elemental plane will start to bleed into the material plane and well, it's not just elemental well you know elemental those are the ones other... we think of though yeah but the various planes bleeding into our world are these phenomena known as rifts that Venetia studies because they are not well understood and for some reason he's not affected by them, giving him an advantage in researching them. Typically when people spend too long near a rift, it will start to affect them as well, which is how Titema has things like Ifrits and so forth, planarly affected peoples. Yeah, so essentially yeah. those kinds of creatures are mutants is the way to think about them. Yes. And because uh, I, I don't have it so that... Because planar travel is forbidden in my campaign so the spell doesn't even exist don't even try rats i know i know uh mostly because one i don't want to deal with it and i don't like um just jumping planes all of a sudden i think it's just too high fantasy for me because that's a pretty big fucking deal to do that and it has to be like something i imagine it, it, sh it should be more than a spell also like i didn't want to deal with it so i, I just kind of put that in the back bolt back burner I was like, maybe I'll get to it later. And then I just kind of built a story around what would happen if we couldn't travel planes, but they could travel to our plane. And here we are, Titema. Well, and that, not really. We're not there anymore, actually. And, and that's why Boom's interesting, because you guys are the first time in, in my world's history you've been transported to another world entirely. We got Isekai'd. You got, got Isekai'd, isekai yeah. Yep. And... Got, dipping into the mutant thing a little bit. Aluna is a sylph, a air elemental mutant. Oh yeah, uh, from Palskelpton. Yeah, that's one of the the lesser known aspects of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if uh, the Shifting Mountain, for example, it's part of the Earth plane. Yeah. That's why it shifts. 
And that was, um, that was what Venetius was on his way before we were transported to, um, go study. Was He, he was on his way to Palskelpton to go study the Shifting Mountain on behalf of the Esoteric Vanguard. But I suppose he never quite made it, did he? Maybe he's still on his way. Maybe this is all just a dream. I He'll mean, you are hanging out with Aluna, who is from Palskelpton. I just love... We, me and Amadeus, we did not do any of this on purpose. We built very complimenting characters. We were destined to meet regardless of being Isekide. Luna was on her way back to Palskelpton. Venetius is on his way back to Palskelpton. It's a funny coincidence with all the characters that we make, is our characters often complement each other with <laughs> zero communication. Yeah, we, we, just, we just vibe together. It's yeah. fine. Like, uh, for example, in our prelude campaign... Um, we played the equivalent of a white mage and a black mage. Yep. It was it was very funny. And we got some really cool teamwork combos. Uh, Amadeus' character, Lystra, was able to ping pong. I was able to ping pong spells off of her. So that was a lot of fun a couple of times. We were able to double lightning bolt somebody once. We were. That was fun. It was, it was generally a great time. Yeah, just the, the natural teamwork that comes out of our spellcasting characters. Caster crew. Let's Caster go. Crew. For the very early days of playing Pathfinder, we were um, we called ourselves Team Fightery Caster because we were fighty and castery. Castery. Yeah. Magus serves a very close to my heart from Pathfinder 1. Pathfinder 2 Magus is still pretty good, but it's no 1E Magus. Everybody's got their favorite class. I'm still looking for mine. It might be Sorcerer. I'm not sure. You'll find it one day. One day. So... On that note, um, a little bit about Venetius's build. With this being my first wizard, despite how much I've played various spellcasting classes, um, it's been interesting. It's nice to have a large toolbox for the first time. I usually play sorcerers because I, I enjoy being able to bust out a spell just on the fly. But I have so many options now. There's so, like... I can prepare for so much. The only thing is I have to prepare for it. It's a very different game from playing Sorcerer. Sorcerer or, or Spontaneous Casters, you're building up your toolbox. You're going, I might use this. I might use this. Let's grab it. Let's add it to my toolbox. Playing a Prepared Caster, you're sitting down going, what am I doing today? I think we're doing this. Are we doing this? I'm going to prepare this. Oh, we're not doing that? We're not going to prepare this. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot of playing that with yourself. It's also fun to like... In my, my head, I've got, like, different modes, like, like almost shifting gears between what we're doing. Like, on adventuring, if we're adventuring, Venetius is preparing some defensive magic and offensive magic. If we're not adventuring, if we're just chilling, he's preparing defensive magic and utility magic. It's, uh, it's interesting to look at what kind of the vibe for the day is going to be, and shifting gears based on that, it's very fun. It feels really good when you make the right choice and you can pull out that clutch spell that you just don't see anywhere else and you're like, oh yeah. That uh, that darkness spell in the alley fights felt so good. It feels so good. It paid off so hard. Um, but one of the things I would like to highlight about Venetius's build is um, his archetypes. I'm actually really excited about his archetypes, one of which hasn't even gotten a chance to... Um, do anything yet i don't think the uh, talisman dabbler it just gives me the option to 
create talismans on the daily, which are just these little trinkets that effectively nudge a roll. They don't do anything huge on their own typically, but they have these little effects with these niche situations that when they come up will be quite helpful. I'm looking forward to um, when they do. Which talismans can you make? Can you make any of the talismans or is it just a small bit? Um, any common talisman. Oh, you got some pretty interesting options out there though. So... I do. In a few, uh, in a, I think four more levels, when I have the ability to prepare fourth level talismans on the daily, I will have access to some sort of prism that you attach to items and you can just whip out. We talked about this in the, the last book club, but I'll get access to that in four more levels where you can attach to an item and pull it out as free action. That's going to be great. That'll be handy. But right now, at fourth level, I only have access to level two talismans, which are very minor. Very minor, but some of them are really handy when you want them. Like, there's some feather fall tokens and stuff like that. Talismans are a really nifty thing to have as a part of your character. That they are. Um, and beyond the talisman dabbler, Vinish is also a horizon walker, which is something I have wanted to play since we started playing in 1E. But back then it was a prestige class, you had to work towards it, and you had to have a character who was fit for it. And I very rarely played characters that would work as a, a Horizon Walker. So being able to tack it onto an existing character that's supposed to be a well-traveled individual feels not only very rewarding, but like it's almost crossing it off the bucket list. Like it finally be a Horizon Walker as this like guide for the party when we're traveling long distance and, and making our lives so much easier. You told me about some of the things he's going to be able to do. Some of them will be really handy, especially when we're looking at walking into a desert with all this extreme heat, horrible weather. There's going to be some nifty abilities coming our way. It's going to be great. But we got to get there when we do. Um, yeah, once we finish up White Moon, you, tra oh. you guys are traveling. Well, we'll be traveling. And I even have the miles and everything set out. If you looked at that dual blue map. It's and I have a lot of rules all like researched and ready. Like, yep, this is what's gonna happen when they travel. This is what they have to worry about. This is the chances of encounters, and I'm gonna be doing that because that's kind of a huge deal. Oh boy. Because then again, like I, I don't have a main villain. I don't have a main quest line in, in Do a Boom. It is a sandbox, and I know some DMs are like, no, that's so bad. They have no direction. But you guys are players that like to find your own quests. Yeah. So in a way, this is kind of tailor made to you guys. Uh, of course, I give you quests and options because that's just how you have to do things. You, you, they, you, I'm not otherwise you'd be moto hobos, basically. Threads have to exist. They have to exist, and they do. It's just whether or not you take it or not. That, that's the point. But yeah, um, before we go traveling, you know, all around do a room and stuff, Venetius does need to retrain his um, favorite terrain because uh, you might be wondering. Why on earth doesn't Phoenicius have a desert as his favorite terrain for a, a desert-themed desert campaign? Who, 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 when you ask someone what their favorite terrain is, no one's going to say desert. Man, I sure love okay, living in a you, desert. Okay, but you say that. But, like, I know people who love it out in Springfield, and that's just high desert. There, I have met some people that can't get enough of the desert. It's um personality type, I think. Yeah. I kind of like just staying up too late at night like I do. There you go. I'm trying to keep a sleep schedule in. It's hard. Sleeping is almost existing. You guys have to sleep? 
I, I oh, try shit. to sleep. Whether <laughs> we actually get there or not is a whole other question. Um, but yeah, currently, uh, Venetia's favorite terrain is ruins because um, one little sneak peek from his origins, he was brought into existence in the ruins of like an ancient elven civilization. He just spent a ton of time underground in this like destroyed library learning and that was the first like who knows how long of his life was just in ruins so he he learned them very well interesting mm-hmm. we'll see how and when that comes into play yeah you know he's um he's not probably not probably gonna go throwing it around un unlike prompted yeah, I wouldn't either. But we'll, we'll get into it at some point. Yeah. But that's all I've got to share about uh, Venetius. You know, I, I've been very thoroughly enjoying playing him, and I, I look forward to our level ups and, and seeing the, the build grow stronger. Well, I have a question for you, and one for you too, because I didn't want to ask you. I want to ask you this last week. Hmm. Where do you think the story of Venetius is going? Hmm. We had some hints in the previous campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and go ahead and show it. I think that the major hint that I can think of is at one point we were going after a guy, this like, I want to say half vampire, like a dampier dude. He did turn out to be a dampier, but yes. you guys thought he was a vampire. Yeah, we thought he was a full-on vampire. This, so this dampier dude was trying to find the, I think, like, lost soul of Volage, the god of undead, correct? I wouldn't call him a god. Like the, He was, like, the, the king of death. Is what he was known and as champion of undeath. Champion of undeath, that, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was he was looking for this champion of undeath, Volage, uh, trying to find his like soul, and um, he had this whole thing set up, this ritual, this very powerful ritual that we like trying to stop because you know generally bad guys doing rituals is bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he ended up succeeding. It turned out only to be like a scry, uh, and we're pretty sure. It clocked in on Venetius, um, sitting in his ancient ruins library, just reading. And um, as far as what that means, I've got no idea. Venetius doesn't register as undead. You know, his, he gets healed like he's a living creature. He's The only like undead aspect to him is the fact that he's using a skeleton as a host, but I, I almost imagine that Venetius's consciousness, his life force, is this like arcane energy that inhabits the skeleton. So who knows, you know? I mean, I'm sure he's got ties to this Volage dude. Maybe you're in Volage's old body. Ooh, that's a thought. Maybe I'm in I'm in Volage's old body. And this crying spell just kinda of picked up on the last vestiges of vestiges of his soul that were just kinda of like on the skeleton, but they're not really there. They're just kind of... It smells like him. I like so the this pel- theory. Spell picked on you up. I, I'm also interested to see... Because I, I genuinely, as of right now, don't know what kind of place Venetius will be in when any sort of, like, backstory starts to come for him, how he's going to react to that, what headspace he's going to be in. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how it all plays out when things start to get revealed. But I do, I, I do have plans. Oh boy, I'm hyped. I have plans for every character. 
Speak, speaking of plans for the characters, Darwin, where do you think Aluna's journey is gonna go? I, I really don't know. When I was originally planning out Aluna, she's really just this kind of like forest girl who never really left her home and never wanted to, and now she's been dragged out of it. So there's a lot of room for her to grow and learn how to interact with the world on a more social level instead of just hiding away all the time. So there's a lot of room for her to grow there, but I'm really hoping this is a campaign kind of takes us into where Iluna's actually from. Because Iluna was just kind of found on the Shifting Mountain as a child. The Shifting Mountain's a part of the Earth plane. You know, a little, like, two, three-year-old child shouldn't be found on a mountain alone, alive. Like, a toddler dies when they're left alone on a mountain for more than a day. What's this small child doing out there? How did they get there? Where Where is she from? So I'm... I'm hoping I get to see more about that, and I don't know what knowing something like that would do to her, but it would definitely change her. She's already in the process of changing a little bit, having to be more party-oriented, more people-oriented than she's ever been before. So I'm excited to see how far that change actually goes. In a sense, this is um, a major opportunity for her to like grow as a character. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a theory. Maybe she ended up on that mountain because she fell from the clouds because she's a sylph. Don't know. Maybe well, she fell from heaven. Yeah, she fell from heaven. Well, I, I know how she became a sylph. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I know how she became a sylph. Do you want to reveal that here? I can reveal that. So, when Aluna was a little girl, she was raised by a wizard who snuck onto the shifting mountain named Geralt. So, it's really weird to me that there's a lot of play between Luna's father and Venetius. Venetius was going to sneak onto the... the... <laughs> he was going to have to sneak up onto the mountain because he was going to be not allowed because he wasn't a druid. Yeah, that's funny. So, but she was raised by this wizard away from the druids because the wizard wasn't allowed to be there, so they were hiding and they were living. And this wizard was trying to teach Luna several things, stuff about magic that wasn't really working out. But this wizard also knew a little bit about alchemy and was just generally teaching her how to survive. And she went off one day on her own to get firewood or like go out and explore and she got caught in a storm. But it wasn't just a regular storm. It happened to be uh, fueled by the plane of air. It was a rift storm. Yeah. And uh, she got caught up in the middle of it and survived. And uh, she left a very changed person. She got magic for the first time, and uh, she has some weird air abilities, and some of it will be really fun in a couple of levels, like seeing through storms and clouds. Now, here's the question. When that storm happened, did it change the color of your hair anime style? So some kind of major event happens in your life and your hair changes. Nah, she always had white hair. Or the the light blue hair. Oh, I see. She's... Too wintry. I love the winter theme. I couldn't take the white hair, like that light blue, whitish blue color. No, but like, like, like anime just changing the color of your hair from like normal color to like colorful colors. I know white's the most popular because of, but that's more for trauma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that's from stress. But like, we're talking like power energy, you know, like like Dragon Ball is all about like the blue hair now. Aluna went Super Saiyan. Mm-hmm. 
Super Saiyan God Super. I don't know. What the <laughs> like the the eighth form now. Probably, probably not. She is not the protagonist of an anime. Yeah. Until uh, until unless I'm um, horribly wrong, but until Doobrum gets animated, then then there then you know there will probably be some aesthetic changes because you know certain things have to happen when it's anime. It's true. I, yeah, I, I don't think it'll be a good transition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that does it for book club today. I think that's our show. It was good to talk to you guys and. Come join the Discord. We're very lonely here. We have to kidnap Andy to have somebody else to talk to. We're still in the early days. Still in the early days. Come, hang out with us on the Discord. Ask us questions. This is our place to answer them. So, indeed. Talk to you there. I'm going to put a bookmark on it. Bye. That's actually in the episode. Bookmark. This is where we put the bookmark. Get this, it? This is where we were supposed to put our silence. Oh. Until you ruined it. I don't know. We can shove Andy <laughs> on the back of it. Catch us as D5 Dirty Dice on all the stuff and things. Catch our Discord link in the description. Come hang out with us, talk to us, ask us questions. We're looking for it. Our intro was done by Dash30. Our ambience is by Michael Gelfi. Take a look at his band camp. Our logo was done by at ArtSleepyhead on Twitter. And we have an additional artist to point out, but we don't know their name at this time. Catch them in the description. You don't know their links, but we'll find it for you. It'll be in the description. It'll be in the description. Peace.